0: On the Tim Manor podcast show today, we have Michael Sutton. Hello, Michael. Hiya. All right. And we also have on the show our very own Gaz Lee. Hi, Gaz. Hi, Tim. Hi, Michael. Alright. Um, and what we're going to be talking about today is obsessive compulsive disorders. Is that the right thing? Yeah. That's much. how you say it, don't yeah. you? OCD. Yeah. Um, Michael, for everybody listening, mate, give me a little bit of a backstory because obviously I don't know you that well. Mm-hmm. Give us a backstory of when it first started.
1: Right uh, well, well,' looking back, yeah, I can see the signs of uh, anxiety disorders or not being able to manage my anxiety properly from a very young age. I
0: mean, how how old are we talking?
1: Probably around, you know, junior school time. Really? Yeah. That, you know, not wanting to get up in the morning and go because you're feeling sick all the time. Got the stomach ache and you just think it's because you don't want to go to school in the morning. Have you ever talked about this
0: before? If you don't want me asking. Yeah. I know I feel like I've railroaded you (laughs) to the podcast like, but...
1: No, it's... um, Some of it is is quite personal and yeah you know you touch on things to do with family and stuff right like that. Okay. But i'm more than happy to talk about it. right
0: you just tell me what you're happy to talk about yeah. mate because it's absolutely it's everything. obvious it's a big thing for you coming yeah. on this mate
1: yeah no absolutely everything right quite sound
0: right. yeah right so mm-hmm. juniors
1: yeah through junior school and then uh you know high school but what you just class as being a little bit nervous in situations so if my mates were going out we're going out to the park and you know, there was girls and that, and I'd get the butterflies and feeling nervous. i just think I was, you know, it was normal for everybody and all that. But as I started getting older and uh, getting into the adult world, so to speak, started noticing myself getting limited a bit by by the butterflies in the stomach and developing sort of patterns of behavior to cope with it, which would then limit my ability to sort of, Be part of the world. When you say the patterns, what sort of patterns are we talking about? Um, Me, for me, it's uh, I'm very strong with routine. Yeah. Having a routine, uh, building my day around a routine, which a lot of people function that way. What I find hard to do is to uh, break that routine for any reason. Could be a a tragedy and I'll still do what I would normally want to do. Could be an offer of something something like this. Yeah. And I'll build my day around it so that I can still do what I want to do and make sure that it doesn't affect my general routine too much. What happens if you break out of that general routine? Can I uh, panic attacks um my whole behaviour becomes very erratic and irrational. Uh in the past I've I've used alcohol okay. as, a, as a way of uh, coping with that and you know that was like the wonder drug to uh Help me break routines and get into social situations that I would normally find extremely uncomfortable. I mean, what mm-hmm. when you say that, how much were you drinking? Oh, I was uh, enough that I would had to detox twice. Really? Yeah.
0: So, just take me back to like junior school when you got butterflies in your stomach about girls and stuff, and <laughs> then these patterns we were talking about. Just, just, just explain that to
1: me. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I'd always be really critical of myself. Things had to be perfect. Um, You know, uh, I'd uh, find ways of making sure that I was in control all the time so that the outcomes wouldn't affect my anxiety too much. At the time, I didn't have a clue about any of this. You know, I was looking back now because I've got quite a lot of insight and I've done a lot of education into it over the last... I I only got diagnosed about seven or eight years ago and I'm 34 now. So for 25 years of my life...
0: You're suffering in silence.
1: It was. There was a lot of, I'd say, bad behavior. There was a lot of behavior that was stemming from certain issues and certain problems. Can you
0: give me some examples just so I can sort of like put it in context? Because like I said, I don't know you that well. It's
1: really interesting to me. A lot of uh, aggression and, you know, uh, lack of uh, being able to control my temper. Yeah. Um, wanting to be in control of everything, and when I wasn't, so
0: we're talking fight or flight, yeah, yeah, sort of like
1: massive fight or flight, right? Um, yeah, massive fight or flight. That was that's that's what it gears down to, really. My body will tell me that there's something that it needs to either fight or it needs to get away from. In situations that really it doesn't need to, um, you know, uh, I will dwell on thoughts. I'll dwell on things and ruminate and not allow those thoughts to go.
0: Ruminate? Yeah. What's that mean?
1: Go over the thought constantly in my mind. An everyday thought that, you know, it's, it's been shown that 80 to 90% of the population have unwanted thoughts. So those thoughts could be anything from extreme violence, um, extreme sexual thoughts, Regarding and it could be towards men, women, children, yeah. the elderly, anything like that. It could be just standard thoughts of going to the shops or what you're going to do today or fancy doing a bit of cleaning later. But the majority of the population can just allow those thoughts to go, and they're just like a, anything, a feather flying past you. But what happens with me and people who suffer from OCD is those those thoughts will stay. So rather than, I I class it as like uh, when you see letters flying through a letterbox, those thoughts coming into your mind and they'll just pile up and pile up and pile up until your brain just overflows and you can't take it anymore.
0: What happens when you can't take it anymore?
1: Just having a bit of a breakdown. Do you? Yeah. And that's where the routine and the coping strategies and the belief systems that you build come in. So... I know that if I decide I'm going to do a bit of cleaning later, my idea today was, so I won't be nervous about this. Yeah. I clean my house this afternoon. Right. So all I'm thinking about is the anticipation of doing my cleaning. So it's took all the nerves away of doing this. Right. So although it's, it's not the helpful sort of coping strategy because I'm going to be going and acting on right. the, the cleaning ideas. Yeah. It's, it's helped to cope. So you build a routine and a lifestyle and you learn ways of, ...of using that routine to help you through things that are usually hard for you. So I might say, right, every Friday I'll clean the house. I'll go to the gym every morning. I'll be there at 7 and make sure I'm finished by about 9. And I'll do, and I'll have my dinners. So I'll make sure I get a decent amount of food in me each day. Specific times every day. And I'll stick to it religiously. My dogs will get walked the same number of times every day, regardless of the weather... Or how ill I am or how I feel or how they feel and it's it's doing that but once you've built it up over four or five years and you've done it for thousands of days exactly the same and the foods are the same even the foods are the same as well yeah you know even I like to I have a bit of a balanced diet but it's the same brand it's the same bread roll it's the same chocolate bar it's everything so I feel safe and the anxiety doesn't stem. If I was to have a different meal at tea time, I would feel extremely uncomfortable. I'd possibly have a panic attack. And the fears would come back to me, which would be, the, for me, the fears are I'd get fat. Um, I'll go crazy because I won't be able to stop worrying about it. And by keeping those things the same, it keeps me able to manage my anxiety and stop it from building too high on a daily basis but unfortunately building those routines and being so rigid with it it then stops you from being able to do all of the other stuff that life offers you
0: how are you managing to come on this podcast and if that's the what how have you managed to come on here
1: push myself
0: have you have you, right. have you been over-analyzing since the first time I asked you to come on the podcast? Have you been think, Have you been worrying about it? Do you, do you want... I want the total on these down. It, yeah. So, yeah,
1: yeah. First, it was like you said, uh, you didn't want me to be coming in the gym worrying about saying whether I wanted to do it or not. Yeah. And when you said you weren't, you know, it was no issue. It was, you know, it made me feel a lot more comfortable. And then obviously two days later, the next time I saw it, it was like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And I was waiting around and... Thinking, planning how can I get around my day and what should I do so I spent about three or four weeks planning in my mind about what I was going to how I was going to negotiate the day and uh, one of the strategies was I go all, all or nothing black or white thinking so it was either going to be 100% I was going to have a total normal day and I'd say no I didn't want to do it or I'd go all out the other direction and have a completely Mixed up day where I do things at different times and try different things and then have a fresh start tomorrow and start back on my normal routine. Right. What I'm trying to do is have a bit of a mixed up day, but not have a fresh start tomorrow. Okay. So, it's yeah. But the last couple of weeks, I was trying to take a step back because I like to be in control. So yeah. It's like, right, well, what time are we going to do this? Okay, we'll do this at this time. And then I'd be like, okay, I'll do it, Yeah. And to make sure that I can kind of, it's manipulation in a way of manipulation a situa- manipulating a situation to fit how I would want it to be. Yeah. But it makes it hard then because not everyone's always the same as me. And not everybody structures their life like that. People are laid back. But for me, I find it quite hard and it can make you a bit bitter and, and, and angry, you know, if, if I'm really serious about something and there's something that is on my mind, but then it it seems that the perp, like you Tim, quite laid back flipping heck, you know one of those guys who's so laid back about it, but I'm really stressed and it's yeah. like, you know, yeah. That's those were the thoughts that were going through my mind. Yeah. I
0: I'd, yeah. I'd, honestly I'd love the honesty. Yeah. I honestly, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on and talking no, it's to me fine. and Kaz, mate mate. It I, I know how, well, I don't know. I can only imagine how hard it is to come on, but, you know, I, like I, we we're talking, we knew before it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's if we can just help one person out with you talking yeah. about this... Um, then it, it's just worth it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I don't mind talking about it at all. It's
0: uh... obviously you've suffered in silence for a long time with this. Mm-hmm. When was the first time that you thought, you know what, um, I can start talking about this? This is going to be helping me talk about it. What help have you had?
1: I've had um, through various courses of therapy. I think the one thing about anxiety, and especially anxiety to do with your own your own self it makes you very self-centered. Same with addictions, you become very self-centered and because you're anxious about everything you're doing, you want reassurance, a lot of the conversations you have with people always end up being about yourself and the things that you do and the things you're worried about. So talking about it, for me, this has never been an actual a major issue um, once I started really struggling. Once I left school and started getting into the adult world and getting into relationships and looking for jobs and things were happening. That's when things started to spiral out of control when sort of that routine of high school and family life wasn't there anymore. And it was, things started to go wrong and it was on me. And the responsibilities that come along with that kind of put put a lot of pressure on, on everybody. And uh, I think when I was about, I started, you know, I was into, when I left high school, I wanted to join the Marines so I got myself fit and I joined the Marines Passed the selection process and um, I didn't continue the training. I left because the whole time I was there I thought I was just homesick and I was terrified of leaving home and I wanted to be back with my mum and my dad I was 17 at the time. So I left and I didn't go back and then after that I just thought, oh, it's alright, there'll be something else you'll find to do, you know, you're just homesick, it doesn't matter, maybe in the future. And I decided I wanted to uh, do personal training, so I did all my qualifications for personal training, started working off in that. But I started finding it really hard to hold the job down then, because I would find it hard to socialise with people, I'd find it hard to kind of... I had such a negative viewpoint of myself... And what other people must think of me I became very defensive.
0: How, so. how big is that? What, what, what people think of you? Uh, does that go through your mind more than anything?
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a big thing. It comes along with the stigma, I suppose, of, of having a mental health problem. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where one of the big triggers for me is if I don't do something, I might, a thought might come on my mind or I might, um, see a bit of, dirt on the floor and I'll think I should pick it up and put it in the bin and if I don't the initial thought for me would be you being extremely lazy and if you don't do it you're going to get fat and everybody who knows you are going to think you're just a lazy waste of space because you can't be doing that you look a mess Yeah. and then that spirals and snowballs okay. and becomes bigger and bigger Yeah. so I'll pick the bit up but not only does that fuel the problem because it kind of gives support then to the belief yeah because I've acted on that thought it will make that thought and the belief stronger ideally to leave it and just walk, walk on See so the illumination basically
0: got this bully inside of you, you just keeps bullying Yeah, that's, every that's, yeah day. that's
1: the best way to describe it you have a bully you have a negative bully and uh it's just super super strong super strong and you can you can do things I've when I um was about 20 I was working at a, a shop in the Trafford Centre and I was into my weights and I was getting in good nick and uh my idea was to go on and do do something like um uh, you know work with men's health and stuff like that and I was setting up my business, trying right? to set up my business, doing a bit of personal training, right? doing dietary, diet, nutrition plans for people. Uh, I got qualified in sports therapy and uh, injury therapy. I did that and uh, I started, uh, you know, mucking around a little bit, meeting people, uh, meeting women. But things just didn't, uh, like, kind of go to plan. And uh, Why
0: didn't it go to plan?
1: It was just, um, you know... Jobs weren't coming off like I'd wanted them to. Um I wasn't interested I wasn't interested. I'd go to places with a really pure mind on what I wanted to do. I'd I got a job at a gym in Manchester and I was really into the personal training and I didn't care. I had to start off at the bottom, I had to do all the grunt work. But the manager said to me one day, you know, if we could make more money being a car park, we'dn't get rid of all of the gym, we'd knock it down and we'd become a car park. And I never went back. And, uh, you know, I wasn't into it for that. So it was kind of knocking, wh- where do I fit? Where do I belong in this sort of world? And uh, I started getting more and more into my fitness. And then the obsessive um, the obsessive side of it came out. I was obsessed with the training.
0: I mean, what are we are talking? How obsessed?
1: It was, it, I'd lost jobs. I wouldn't go to work. So I could work out if my was shifted to work uh, where I would normally train, then I wouldn't go to work. I'd train, um, I wouldn't work. I'd just leave a shop floor. So I'd have my meal on time, stuff, I'd eat every three hours. But mm. It wasn't around about. It was on the, it was at the right times, the right amount of food each day. It took about over the space of six months. I became more and more obsessed with it um, started isolating myself from people. Wouldn't socialize, wouldn't go out, stopped drinking. It was a good thing in the end, but at the time, my whole social life went. I didn't know how to speak to people. Um, I was losing weight rapidly because I was expending a lot of calories and a lot of energy. But as the foods just started becoming cleaner and my exercise became more intense, I was just in the space of about seven or eight months, I went through being 12 and a half stone to about six and a half, six stone. And that's when I started to go to the doctor. Then,
0: holy fuck,
1: yeah. mate, yeah, that wasn't it, wasn't nice being that, that way. And I was there, I was like,
0: would you say that's your darkest time? Obviously, yeah. I, I realized you know, it's quite dark yeah. to be yeah. honest,
1: yeah. But... Um, I look back on it now, and it I can brush it off six stone, yeah. Is that just mate. purely
2: from looking out so much?
1: Yeah, I cut my. My foods that I was eating were, um, you know, there was no rubbish in it, no crap. There was not. It was just, you know, rice and chicken and porridge and the standard diet. But my, I was working and or trying to work, and then I'd try and I was I was working out at the gym every day, one once or twice a day. And I'd go running.
0: May you train hard. When well, I seen yeah. you, did you train hard already? So I can only imagine what it was I'd like back go, then.
1: I made sure I would go, i do a, do a form of exercise after every time I ate. So whether it go for a long walk and then I'd clean excessively anything. Um, I used to weigh myself before I go to bed. And if I wasn't the same weight as I was when I got up in the morning, because I weigh myself in the morning, I'd eat food to make myself happier. Then I'd go to bed. Then if I woke up in the morning, make sure I was the same weight as was well before I went, to bed, when I went to bed. And it was... It was just like that, but as you, those sort of things happen to your body, one of the worst things, you know, you lose all your weight, I, it was agony walking around because I had all the fat had gone from my body, I'd lost all the fat off my feet, you know, so it was feeling like walking on bone, you know, you'd hear comments of people, God, have you seen the state of him when, you, when I was walking down the road, stuff like that, so you become... Were body.
0: people saying that? Yeah, I yeah.
1: heard it. I heard it once. Heard a you. couple of girls. Yeah, have you seen the state of him and all that? Yeah, and then, but there was a lot of negativity, not intentional, but from family members and friends because they didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. When I look back on it, I don't really have much of a memory of it. Is it
0: like? I mean, is it are we bored of like eating disorder there or what's?
1: Yeah, I um, they couldn't. We couldn't really get an understanding on it because when I went, I felt I got sent to an eating disorder clinic for anorexia yeah but when i told them what my daily eating was they couldn't understand it because i was eating a lot more than what the average person with anorexia would have i was eating five or six meals a day
0: how how often are you training at this time
1: every day a couple of times a day
0: a couple of times a day for what a couple of hours each time yeah two or three hours right yeah so basically you're training for training for the full day basically
1: yeah my whole day was a It was was training. It was only geared around my body. Everything from a walk after I'd have my tea at night was geared to streaming a bit of fat to a walk before I got up and before I had my breakfast. Everything was geared to being as ripped as possible. And the more weight I lost, the more ugly I thought I was. So then I would train harder to try and change that.
0: That's just a circle, that, isn't it? Yeah. Going nowhere.
1: Yeah. And as you lose the weight and the more negative, you get more depressed. Your mental health totally suffers. So it just becomes a huge vicious cycle and you end up in a place that's just... You know, I was 23 years old and I felt like I was about 80 or 90 year old walking around to the shops and that and trying to do things and constantly every day just... It was a a battle.
0: How did did you... um, you Obviously, six stone, you know something's going on, you're suffering in silence. Did you make the choice to do it or did somebody make the choice for you? What was...
1: I think I I think I'd said, I don't want to be like this anymore. And I think me mum had said, we need to go to the doctor and see what he thinks. Because we had a family doctor who was really good. Yeah. And yeah, he was just like, I want to try you on these antidepressants. Shit. And if I could take you to a, have a fry up right now, I would do. But I was like, well, that's not going to happen. But yeah. My Every time I went to the doctor, every time I took a pill or I had to have a test done, yeah. am I going to be able to go to the gym afterwards? That was the first question. I'm okay to go to the gym afterwards. Yeah. So although I was seeking help, it wasn't. I wasn't fully seeking help. It was just more of an appeasement. Or th- oh, I didn't realize how big the problem was. I didn't give any sort of credit to how hard it hard it was going to be to sort of manage it and get over it. What it,
0: it, What were the antidepressants they give you? Did you take them? Yeah. And yeah. did the help?
1: I think they must have done to an extent. I mean, I've been on medication now for about 12 years.
0: What medication have we done? At I'm the asking? moment,
1: I take um, an antidepressant called Sertraline. And yep. I take um, an antipsychotic drug called Quetiapine, which is geared up to be a muscle relaxant, so I can sleep at night. Right, okay. So I don't feel when I wake up, um, there's so many thoughts that my, my dreams are so vivid that when I wake up, I, f- I feel like I've done a workout. I feel like I've run a marathon when I wake up in the mornings. Really? So, yeah. So the idea was to just kind of, it's just sort of stop me in my tracks.
0: Just to give your mind a bit of
1: peace? Yeah, just to slow it down slightly so I can just kind of rationalize things. Sometimes the thoughts are going so fast, you just kind of are acting without even knowing you're doing it because it's going so fast, you just get on to the next one. So the idea is to kind of slow the thought processes down and it gives you a chemical help to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever
0: like kind of gone? You know what I feel. All right, I'm not going to take them. No, 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 no.
1: And I don't know. There's probably various reasons for that. Um, I'm scared to come off them. Yeah. Because what happens if I get really ill again? Um,
2: Have they become part of your routine? Would you say now? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm scared to go to bed without taking them in case I don't sleep. Um, Also, I think the the longer you stay sort of on medication, on sickness benefits, that becomes your world. It's hard to think of not having that as that crutch. What happens if I don't get a job next week and I can't pay the bills? That doesn't come into it because every two weeks I get a lump of money in my account. Um, what happens if tomorrow something happens and my anxiety spirals and I can't sleep and you know those thoughts don't come into it anymore because I take my pills I will do I will sleep you know um but these
0: thoughts used to come into your mind yeah
1: yeah and then also the it's a, it's I've used I use it myself um, it's a good excuse to not push yourself it's a good excuse to not get into the real world and take responsibility, having, being ill. You know, OCD is something I'm going to have for the rest of my life, but it's something I can manage. Even if I work hard, I can live a very functional life and it can be to my benefit, the perfection side of things, the dedication I have to things when I put my mind on it. If I find it the right way to channel it, you know, I can have unlimited, you know, Possibilities, Yeah. yeah. At the same how have
0: time. you got like this, mate? How, how have you got to be so knowledgeable and so open and so? It's clever the way you're thinking, you know, and the and the um, way you're talking. The, now. Um,
1: just, just, just through reading and not wanting to settle. And
0: but have you have you had any help um, from the NHS or anything like that? Have they taught you to, or have you kind of sort of done it
1: yourself? A lot of it's been self-taught and trial and error and you know, you, the NHS is really good for what it does. But if you're in a dire straits and you're really having a bad time and you go to your doctor and you need help, you get put on a six month waiting list and six months is enough time to people to go beyond that, you know? Yeah. So during that time, the only way to do it is to find a way of doing it yourself, whether it be to do something private, yeah. and pay for the treatment. Or to get researching, get looking, and find things to do.
0: How do you research? Where did where did you go?
1: Uh, the internet, right? Um, other people.
0: What YouTube? What?
1: Yeah, there's um, various websites. Your mind. dot um, org. They they do a uh, different uh, mental health sort of. Uh, Awareness sort of stuff. Yeah. The, um, the the NHS website's for OCD. Just going on Google and typing in obsessive compulsive disorder, and it'll just come up with loads of stuff or anxiety disorders and depression and all that sort of thing. But the one the one thing that was was has been apparent for me and a lot of people, OCD is a very hard thing to diagnose. So more often than not, you'll be diagnosed with three or four, five different conditions before you get diagnosed with obsessive. You just explain disorders. that
0: to me. I don't I not under- sure. yeah. what The you first mean.
1: time I went to the doctors, I was diagnosed um I was suffering from depression. Right. Then I was suffering from an eating disorder. Then I was um, you know, struggling with anxiety and stress. Yeah. Then when I started drinking to cope with that, I was suffering from alcoholism. Yeah. And then when I started seeing a psychiatrist and we put everything together and started looking at my childhood and me adolescence. Yeah. Growing up that's when we start and I was describing how my thoughts would would manifest in my mind and how my days were and the things that would bother me and how I thought about things. That's when yeah, you've got OCD. But it still wasn't a thing that was said. It was I the only way I found out what I'd been di- that I'd been diagnosed with OCD was I managed to get a hold of my notes on the doctor computer and checked and had a look on what was written about me. And they is right, so I've got OCD, right? I know no, I can now I know where to start. Right. You know, I've been going around in circles. And so, I mean, like happening. you said,
0: it's just like, you've got these thoughts, right? Okay, I've got depression, I've got anxiety, I've got this, like, need it, but really what you've got is OCD.
2: Yeah. It's a term that gets thrown around a lot as well, OCD, isn't it? Yeah.
0: and We I, said I'd, this, we said this today, didn't we?
2: Yeah, because, yeah, do you know, it's like, I mean, I do things where checking locks, stuff like that, mm-hmm. and then people say to me, oh, "I saw OCD, that book. Do you know? Is it? Is it not? Is the different scales of it? Yeah. I th- I I,
0: I've never ever talked to. I know we throw it around, don't we? OCD because yeah. you're a perfectionist, Gaz, and you. There is traits that, but very minor. But I don't think i have ever talked to anybody who's got. Yeah. yeah. OCD, so, if you know what I mean.
1: It is a term that's used a lot, and I think it's um, to get awareness of it. The Can innate... you
0: relate to what Gaz has just said about the door thing? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I've, and a lot of people will. Give an example of them having themselves having obsessive compulsive disorder through doing things like checking door handles. Why
0: is that? What is the checking the door handle?
1: It's it, for for various reasons. People do it. Have um, you know? It could be for security reasons. You check the handle. You walk away and you think, is that locked? Yeah. And then you might just get that little bit of anxiety. The yeah. little butterflies. Do you feel that, guys, when you're doing it? Yeah,
2: it's like the best way I can describe it. I'd say it's sort of like a splinter in your mind. Yeah. And it's like I've watched myself lock my car and I know it's got central locking, but unless I have that tactile experience that I need to touch that handle, yeah, then it my mind won't let me not think about it. So then I'll go, I've done it so many times, go in my house and I try and ignore it and I go, I know it's locked and you can't, it just eats away, it yeah. doesn't it niggles, it niggles, niggles. And then I'll have to go back outside and check my door, my lock, right. and then go back inside, and then my mind will go to ease then. But that's, again, one very small thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and... Um you know, do you do, is it only the once you'll go and check it or does it tap, can you repeat that behaviour then?
2: I can do it sometimes, but generally if I go over and check it once, but there are times where I'll walk away, I'll yeah. check it. Oh, so for example, if I know I'm going to do it, yeah. I'll get it, I'll check it as I lock it and then I'll walk away and then I have to walk back and check it one more yeah. time and then and then yeah. I'm usually okay then.
1: Yeah, it's, there's, a, there's a spectrum of OCD and um, anxiety disorders and there's minor sort of, things that will behavioral traits like that. Mm. And then there's the more extreme where people might do it 50 times and they'll count it and they'll do it 50 times every time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's still acting upon your anxiety. Yeah, It's still being manipulated and dictated mm. to by a feeling, a chemical feeling. There's yeah. a, na- a natural feeling. Anxiety is natural. Yeah, It's supposed to be there from the fight or flight. You know, that's mm. what it's there for It's to protect us. But in the world that's been built around us now, extremely quickly, you know, our minds and bodies haven't developed as fast as the world has. Our brains are still functioning. Well some people's are, are still functioning as if we're still hunter gatherers. Whereas the world around us doesn't cater for that anymore. We don't need that. We don't need to be wary of the big woolly mammoth that's gonna bite us when we go and get our dinner. Yeah. yeah. We don't need those. So when you go to the supermarket and there's no threat, what does your body body do with those sort of chemicals and those reactions? And some people will be able to manage it that easy, and it won't matter to them. Other people will literally, you know, go to the supermarket and they'll have those panic attacks about going and getting a packet of chicken. And various reasons for that will 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 flare up in their minds, and that's when you end up people with agoraphobia or. You know the coping strategies of of going and doing the general day to day stuff, which is which will look quirky to the average person, but to the person who's doing it, it's their safety. It's them keeping their anxiety under control. You know,
0: you're just living with this bully inside you. Yeah, yeah. It's I'd like to yeah. say it's the best way to describe it, and it it's not. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, the checking the door, and when you come in, and you can't stop thinking about it. You know, it's it, Have you
0: had them ones? Or do you do that yeah, one?
1: I have I don't do the checking of the door. The one thing I'm not I'm I don't one thing I don't really worry about is is security. And I think what I tell myself now is if anything new, a lot of my behaviour
0: Could you give us some examples of like some of the, the I'm gonna call it quirks, mate, That yeah,
1: that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um When I make my dinners, yeah. It's um everything's done in the exact same order every time um when i change when i use taps i make sure they're they're clean they're turned off um so to, think, to what
0: what degree
1: it, it, you see because i've learned ways of managing it now I just give
0: me a worst example just so like, I can understand. It's just every, for me yeah, to understand, every, mate. Every,
1: every time, every time I would touch a tap, it would be cleaned afterwards thoroughly. Right. If I didn't believe I'd cleaned it properly, or if or it wasn't that I didn't believe it, it was the burst of anxiety in me that would make me believe that, well, if I'm having this feeling, there must be something wrong because that's what it's there for. Right. So I must have done something wrong. So repeat it and do it all over again.
0: How many times would you repeat that? worst case scenario,
1: I'd say I'd break it up if it was causing me massive distress, so it might have, I might be still doing it after an hour, yeah, I would then say I'm not doing it again for a little bit now, and then I'll start and do it again, but that behavior then could last for a few days right, and that and that would be something like as simple as cleaning a kitchen tap could consume my mind for three or four days, right. The way I did learn of ways of sort of controlling that was to build the routine of I will clean my house once a week and I'll do it on a specific day and then no matter how bad the anxiety is after that, I'll wait until the next time that I do it. So it's guaranteed it will get done, just not on a repetitive scale. But then... Those routines that you build, you know, you're taught in therapy when you when you, when you you first go to therapy, you know, build a routine for yourself, get yourself out, have a structure. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not working, keep that daily structure. But then those routines become addictive.
0: Become your, yeah, crutch, That's right, what you've yeah. got to
1: break away from. Yeah. And that's what's really hard. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's something that we teach is a thing called batching. And it's about planning your days and planning your hours and what you're yeah. doing it. But I always teach people, look, if you can't get that done, don't stress about it. Mm. Just mm. get back on it the day after. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it's, that's easier said than done for you, isn't
1: it? Yeah.
2: The uh, the routines and did they run sort of daily or is it weekly or is it monthly or how do you sort of it's, compose um, it?
1: Yeah, it's weekly. Weekly. The majority of things, you know, I will I'll, I'll i'll do my daily routine and then I'll tell you what I'll add into it each week. My morning would be get up about half past five, I'll have some breakfast, take the dog for a walk, get down to the gym for about seven, get away from the gym about nine, go to the shops, go home, get the dog out. Um if I if, if I need to do a bit of cleaning, I'll do some cleaning. Just it won't be a major clean, it might just be coover up the dog hairs. I'll make my lunch, I'll have my lunch at about twelve or well, four twelve on the dot. I'll check it on my phone about three different clocks in the house. Yeah. I'll have my dinner and then about quarter to one um, I'll uh, brush my teeth, take the dog out, get back and then if there's something specific I've planned it'll usually be about that time. So today after that, about half past one I'll do a couple of hours cleaning and then I'll try and leave that then until next week, some next Wednesday. It probably won't happen. I'll probably get anxiety about Saturday about it and I'll I'll probably do it again. And then after that I'll... uh, Sit down and have half an hour watching um, telly. Make me tea. Have me tea at four o'clock. Get the dog out after me tea. Get on the internet for half an hour. And then about half past seven, I'll probably say, right, my day. I, clock, I call it clocking in and clocking out. My day, I built my day so it's a job. So I'll do the housework and I'll do the, the look after the dogs for the people in my house. So it makes me feel like I'm doing something productive. So about half seven o'clock I'll have a shower and get some supper and go to bed for about twenty past nine after I've took my meds. And then that 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 will be three hundred and fifty six days a year. Yeah. And then the extra things I might add in is How long
0: you been doing that for?
1: About on and off. I say on and off. The only times I didn't do that was when I was on a bender. Probably for about ten years yeah
0: so obviously with the alcohol thing it kind of was it doing like numb a part of your yeah. brain that you don't have do you think
1: yeah at first at first i was when i first lost lost all of the weight and i was down at six stone and nobody knew what to do and i was going to therapy and just couldn't get a grip on it at all weren't focusing on the right areas i know that now but i didn't know it then my mum just said to me one night you want to have a beer with me and your dad and I was like I can't, I can't I'll get fat and all that and I did I had a beer and then I had another and all of a sudden I wanted to eat some chocolate I Mm -hmm. had some chocolate and then I went to the chippy and got some chips and then the next morning it was like shit and panic so I exercised and exercised but then I still got the want I still wanted I I always want things I still wanted them I just wouldn't allow myself to have it I still wanted the chips. I still wanted the chocolate, so I thought, well, the only way to get around this is I'll have a couple more beers and I'll do the same. And then before I knew it, it was a few weeks down the line. The couple of beers hadn't weren't doing it anymore, so I'd have three, and then it was four, and I was still trying to do everything I would normally do, and I was, I was working, I was going to college, I was uh, using the gym, uh, but my weight started getting up, and that was scary. But at the same time, I was getting drunk every night. I didn't care. But you build up a tolerance very quickly especially if you're using it if you're not using it for the taste or just a relaxing if you're using it as a complete coping mechanism yeah you build up a tolerance to drugs and alcohol very very quickly so within about six months it was easily eight or nine cans of beer after after work at night so from about eight until eight o'clock at night till about midnight i'd be drinking then get up the next morning about seven how how did you get up the
0: next morning after eight cans of beer
1: the hangovers, the hangovers weren't weren't uh, weren't there because I'd be doing it every day. Right. And when there was hangovers, the ang- the ang- OCD of the r- the the routine say, would would keep me in line. You know, I had to be up at that time. I had to be doing this and that. There was no time to be in bed with a hangover because I had to go and do these other things. So although that's a positive in a sense, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. You know, when I was drinking the most I was I was drinking a lot. It was it was it was, you know, about twelve cans of lager a night. And uh, I'd regularly miss whatever I had to do in the day. Wouldn't go to, to uni, wouldn't go to work, just go pub and start drinking about two in the afternoon right, okay. with my mates and then finish then about midnight. Spent a full hot tune.
0: How did you get off that?
1: Um it was for me it was I was causing so much trouble. Was getting in trouble, all well, I was getting in trouble with police, I was getting in trouble at home, I was getting in trouble with people that I was meeting when I was out, it was causing so much grief that it had to stop. I wasn't ready for it to stop, um, because it was the only thing I could rely on. You know, yeah. in the end, I was drinking on my own. It kind of became your friend, yeah, it was my best friend. It was, I was. I was drinking on my own. Everything it wasn't. I wasn't interested. I'd ring someone up and say, "Do you want to go out?" But it wasn't for company. It was just so that I didn't look like a. I could say to my mum, oh, "I'm going out with so and so tonight." If I just went out on my own, I'd get a load of stick off people. Yeah. So it's just a reason to drink. But I would go to the doctors and say, you know, I'm struggling. I need to get off this. So they give me the medication to help me get off it.
0: Which was what?
1: There's um, there's this two. There's a one called epoxide. Fucking hell. Which is one that basically. Are you still
0: taking antidepressants at the same time? Right, okay. As well as drinking? Yeah. Right, okay. (laughs) I
1: used used to take diazepam. Did you? I got that on prescription. Right. And I used to grind it up and put it into my can of lager and then drink it just to get off my feet. Never bad
0: times, mate, haven't
1: I smile about them
0: Yeah, I think I think you've got to, mate. I think I think it's important. I think you know to actually go. You know what? I was actually in this place and got myself out of it. I mean, I can't even imagine, mate. I can't even imagine.
2: How did you sort of go to breaking that cycle and that sort of infinite cycle?
1: You have to lose things. You have to lose. It has to become harder to carry on doing it than it is to stop. So for me. At first, my obsessive beliefs were were suppressed by the alcohol. In the end, they were getting strengthened. So, after every time I drank, I would go and I used to hide things. I regularly would have passport bank cards taken away from me by family members so that then I couldn't go out the next day and drink. So, I would stash things, I'd stash wads of cash um, in the house, but I'd black out too. So I'd forget where I'd put things. But the OCD started stemming on from that then. So that when I'd, after I'd been on a bender, I'd search the whole house, turn it upside down to make sure that I hadn't left anything that where it shouldn't be. And it was, you know, I was pulling sofas apart every time. So it was, it was a lot. And that was when and I would decontaminate because drinking became such a bad experience. I'd say, I'm never doing it again. And I'd get rid of every single sort of remnant of it so alcohol became the worst enemy when I wasn't drinking so I'd clean everything get rid of any form of trace that the alcohol might have touched so i never have to touch it again got rid of all my aftershaves all sorts of stuff like that and that's, that, that's what the first the, when I stopped drinking on a regular basis that was because it came harder to carry on doing it that's what got me to start breaking the cycle after I detoxed I did it at home. So I was living it. I got kicked out of my... Oh, how did you detox? I was kicked out of... I was. I regularly used to get kicked out. And I was kicked out and uh, I had nowhere to go. So I checked into an hotel in Manchester. And then after a couple of days, I was, I, had, I was having major panic attacks and I just had to get home. So I went and I was staying at my gran's. I thought, I just can't do this anymore. So I went to the doctor... He gave me the medication. I, ref- I didn't want to go to a rehab. I refused. I wanted to do it now. I didn't want to wait. I wanted it now. I wanted to do it now. So he put me in touch with the drug and alcohol team, where I was from, and then they gave me a program to do at home. And it was a seven-day home detox. And it was based just consisted of um, getting yourself off the alcohol. I wasn't. I wasn't as chemically dependent. My nervous system wasn't as gone as a lot of people's. I was lucky. It was. It wasn't nice withdrawing, and it wasn't nice coming off it, but. Luckily for me, I wasn't at the point where I was going to have seizures and I was my life was going to be at risk by stopping drinking. The idea would have been to whittle it down month by month so that it went from, say, 12 or 15 cans a day down to three or four and then look at coming okay. off it altogether. I just went from 12 cans and stopped.
0: Did you? Yeah. How long were you doing the 12 cans for?
1: Not as, not that long. Right, a few okay. months. A few right. months. So, although i be I'd developed a and a dependency on it. It yeah. was more a lot of my stuff was a mental dependency yeah. of the routine of I get home from work and this is what I do, rather than a massive physical addiction, which it was there. The we, need in the alcohol. Yeah, to yeah. Uh, stop shaking every day. Yeah. You know, I did get that after after a big session, like a lot of people do. But I actually and I gotten it. But my my withdrawals didn't really go too far past being really nervous and on edge and anxious and sweating you know the, the detox was well, it was quite it was hard more to break the routine of not drinking rather than lying in bed and hallucinations you know I, I had all of that but that wasn't as hard as the thought of not doing it yeah you know so the you get the medic you do the medication but after that I didn't really have I didn't come up with an idea of what to put in place of the drinking so i'd, I'd abstain from alcohol for a month or two and then I'd go on a huge bender for 3 or 4 days which was more dangerous than drinking every day because I'd consume huge amounts of alcohol over the space of a weekend and then have to withdraw off that because I would become a, I'd become dependent very very quickly again then I think um, I was taught I went to. I used to go to AA and someone was telling me that it was proven that a lot of people who suffer from addictions have a sort of chemical imbalance in their body which the drug will Grab onto very, very quickly, and you become dependent on it very, very quickly. So, so I could have um, a drink of lager, and not only would I like to have another one, I needed to have one because my body was telling me you need more of this, even if I'd only had one. So that's how it, you know, it. That's how it kind of.
0: Christ is. Almighty!
1: Yeah, but then, but like I say, the uh, getting off it was. Easy staying off it was the hard bit because although although I was focusing on not drinking the other sort of problems, the eating, the uh, yeah, they obsessive were were routines, they, the fall were, they were huge now. then they uh, were becoming more and more important, yeah. And there was no way of coping with them, so yeah. I'd, I'd crack after a month or so and go on a huge bender. And then, the my one, the, the one pivotal thing, I've been sober now for about two and a half years. Um, the pivotal thing for me was I moved up here to get away from it all, from where where I'm from. Where are you from? Uh, just by the traffic center, Ermsden. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, a lot of my triggers are down there. Yeah. Family problems and just uh, where I grew up, and I'm haunted most of the time when I go down there. For oh, yeah, I did this here and I did that there. Yeah. Got but, a lot of guilt still. Yeah. 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 Huge guilt and uh, regrets, really. And yeah, yeah, guilt's a big one.
0: I think a guilt's a, a, a big one with everybody, yeah. not, isn't it? Yeah. But more so with you, because you're just gonna manifest that guilt mm. over and over and yeah. over.
1: Yeah, guilt and what people must think of you. And yeah. Just eats away at you all the time. But when I moved up here, I had a bit of a fresh start. My mum had left me dad and uh, was with someone up here. And uh, he's now my stepdad. Yeah, and he's pretty much changed. He's helped me change my life massively, and I start. I hadn't drank when I came up here, and I went on a bender, and I had me two dogs. He'd got me two dogs to for me to look after, and and I went on a bender, and it wasn't planned. I just thought, well, now I'm gonna have a drink, and Dave, me a stepdad, he's a you know ex drinker. You know, he knows he knows how it goes, and um, but he he's got it managed now. And um, he said, "Yeah, just have have a couple, and see how you go." But I went straight to the shop and got about 30, 30 beers and a bottle of whiskey, and I just started drinking. And then about two weeks later, I was off I was off my head for two weeks. And two weeks later, I got a phone call off my mum and said, "Dave's getting rid of your dogs." And that was it. I was like, "I ain't touched a drink since." And touched a drink, and that was about two and a half years ago. And uh, that phone call. Mm-hmm he's already phoned his brother. they're going to take the dogs that was it I was in the car crying straight back to me straight back up here to Bolton never touched the drop since then and that was when it was like right you've got to get your shit together, shit together start managing things start putting things into practice you know you have all this knowledge but you've got to put it into practice <laughs> yeah yeah so a lot of dark times but a lot of good stuff as well
0: when you say that, times, and it might, I mean, I've got to go there. I've just got to ask. Yeah. Cause I like being honest. Is, I mean, are we talking like suicidal thoughts at points? Yeah. I, can you talk about that with yeah, me? Yeah, there's
1: there's a lot of thought. I've, I think a majority of people have, have, have really negative thoughts yeah. and thoughts of doing things. And so I will regularly think of things and it'll just be a thought. Yeah. I've only ever once really contemplated. Taking my own life and that was, um, get it caused me a huge panic attack because it was, shit you're gonna do this and I had a huge panic attack and I didn't go through with it, and it was but there's there's lots of thoughts of uh, self harm. I mean the majority of my behaviour is self harm. Yeah. You know punishing myself in the gym every day because I don't like the way I look, I don't like who I am as a person. A lot of my routines will be there to destroy destroy myself. Yeah. I don't allow myself to be full up. I don't allow myself to feel happy. You know, I, I self-sabotage. So there might be a behavior to do that I know will benefit me in the future. Mm-hmm. But I won't do it properly because it might mean I'll get better then. And I might be all right. And I might have a good life. And I might enjoy things. And I don't deserve that. And that's the thoughts that goes through most of the time. And the, you know, the, the thoughts of self, the self-harming is very strong, the urge to do it, is because you just want things, to, you want a relief.
0: Right. Because, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if you listen to our podcast with, um had I do anorexia nervosa? And, yeah. and he and he, um, he basically used to cut himself just to take that pain away from there and focus it somewhere else. Yeah. So when you're saying that, I, 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 I kind of understand. Yeah.
1: yeah, there's um, you just want it to stop or just get that instant bit of relief, some way of getting it out. There's people who use various forms of doing it, you know, cutting, burning. Yeah. He yeah. said one from, of his, he used to use
0: ice cubes yeah. and old ice cubes because it was that, discomfort. anything. Mm. Yeah. yeah.
1: Things that could cause you a bit of discomfort. Yeah. You know, when I was, when I'd lost all the weight and it hurt to walk, I'd be walking everywhere. Right. You know, I had to feel that pain. Lying in bed at night, absolutely starving. I became, it became pleasurable to me. Right. Because it was that relief. If, yeah, From you do, your you're head, doing right now, this is how you should be feeling.
0: Yeah, you're just constantly these fucking motherfuckers inside. You're just kind of going, yeah. look. Yeah, yeah. So, how, how how do you manage now? Then, how, how do you? What would you say is the best coping mechanism for you now?
1: Keep, for, for at the moment
0: well, I want, let's say you're going to get if there anybody listening to this who's going through the same thing that Michael gone through one piece of advice you give to that person what would that piece of advice be
1: have a goal a positive goal have something in your life that is a is a goal of where you want to go and then build a plan of getting there what's your goal at the moment I'm doing a um I'm doing a, becoming a florist. Oh, okay. So I'm just starting my level two floristry. I'm also just enrolled on a, a teaching English as a foreign language course. Ideally, I'd like to get that done, and get away. And uh, the ultimate goal is to work with um, children in orphanages around the world. That's and, cool goal. And give them something. Yeah, that's my goal, and it's getting there now. That's, that's got to be the focus.
0: i trying to tell you what your goal is. Why? Go you should be a life coach. I think you've thought about this already. Yeah. I think there's a reason you've been through all this shit, mate. And that I think is you should become a life coach. And honestly, one million percent. All this crap you've been through, mate, don't put it in vain. I, I understand the orphanage. You understand the florist. It's a nice goal to have and stuff. But... Helping people, mate, is what you're meant to be doing, you know. You come across so well. Every time I talk to you in the gym, you, you, you're you always saying hello to me. You've got such a lovely demeanour about you, mate. I know you've got this guilt going on inside you and you've got all this and stuff, but you've got to put everything that you've been through to use. God has given you done all this shit to you for a reason. And I know it sounds a bit woo-woo and a bit, you know, like, what's it? But you're meant to be a life coach, mate. You've been through all this crap for a reason what you think Al?
2: I think yeah everything that you've you sort of experienced is is good for other people to hear like I'm not necessarily like me and Tim have listened to it today I'm not that we're necessarily struggling with anything but it's good to see and have that insight isn't it, into into what it is and just the education side of it for us again when we talk about the OCD thing Yeah. so I think for the people who've actually been there or are still there they've got something to look up to haven't they somebody to look up to and a way to get through it yeah
1: yeah it is um
0: do you, do you want to hear mine and eight mile theory go on have you seen eight mile yeah eminem yeah last battle he yeah. leaves every fucking piece of shit on the line and then he goes right what have you got at me now yeah you tell all your people all your shit and stuff like that and then they've got nothing to come back with you you're the person left on and you've won there's a reason you come on this podcast, mate. I love in spiritual and faith and stuff. There's a reason that we're talking about this. And I honestly believe that you're meant to become a, a life coach and helping other people out with stuff because there's a shitload of people suffering, mate. Loads of them. You've been through all that. I'd rather sit down and talk to somebody who's um, been through all this um, and who's been through the experience um, rather than somebody who hasn't. You know, we've just yeah. got a degree or a piece of paper from somewhere. I'm not knocking them people. Don't get me wrong, but personally, myself, I'd rather talk to somebody who's been through this shit. Yeah, because um, I'll, I'll I'll get most from it. Have you ever thought about it?
1: Yeah, I've thought about things like that. It was bored of um, not really knowing how to get into it, and then also
0: all you do is set a YouTube channel up, mate, sort of camera. I'm, I'm about, very. I'm can very... you imagine that? It take you about three weeks to do a video. I'm very.
1: I'm very good at having goals and yeah. when I get within that with, about to grab that goal I move the goalposts right okay so if I have something that I'm striving for I'll never achieve it right which then will will, so I can talk about it because it's the negative side of me and the positive side yeah. the negative side the goal is to destroy myself and to be unhappy and just to right to just float through life until it's over yeah if the positive side wants to reach these goals, so they're in complete conflict all the time. So when I get to near a goal, I've achieved quite a lot on the way to getting there. Yeah, but I'll never actually get what I want. Because- it's
2: a final gratification almost, yeah. isn't it? It's it like just- you're not supposed to feel that. Yeah.
1: So definitely, you
2: need to sort of again. It's not harming in a way, but it's like you've got to go through something yeah. again to earn it almost yeah. again. Yeah. But you'll never let yourself earn it.
1: Yeah. Definitely. <laughs>
2: So, Bad, it. I shouldn't say the word mad, but I've tried
0: to wrap my head around that. Sort of chasing I think it's because I've mi- Yeah, yeah.
1: It takes a lot of time to to think you have to do a lot of thinking and yeah. a, lot, a lot of self exploration to kind of Yeah. To realise that and, yeah. and to admit that to yourself. And then, then you've got to start working at getting to your goals.
2: What do you think about it, Tim, anything you do, it might be something that might take you a year. But then when you get to that goal, it's all worth it because you get to that goal and it's the gratification side of it. But if you're not interested in that.
1: Yeah. It's getting getting to, I finished uni, uni, got my degree. I didn't go to graduation because that degree was nothing it was done with. I was on to the next thing. You know, there was no pat on the back. There was nothing, no sort of gratification for completing four years at uni through what doing whilst I was doing everything else I was doing.
0: What were you expecting from it? Uni? Yeah.
1: I didn't, I, I didn't know.
0: Right. It was, was just, in, it was a goal for a goal it reason. To,
1: it was, it, I went to uni to, to just try and save my life, to get me away from doing, I was on a, you know, I was regularly getting told by my doctors that you're not going to live much longer, you're going to die if you keep doing this, you're going to yeah. die, you know. It was just, it was a, just grabbing at something that I could have a bit of structure with and could take me away from, whatever not you know i did a history degree i didn't even do history at school it was just something different like at the floristry now it was was just something different for me yeah to try and achieve yeah you know it just is one of those things i think it's good to have to be able to strive for perfection but you i think you have to psychologically you have to give yourself that gratification once you get there or else it isn't worthwhile
0: i think that's something that we've talked about before and in it and I know I'm not kind of comparing the same things on levels, but as a level, guys, when you're doing design and you're doing your thing, there's a certain amount you kind of get to that point, but you're still not happy with it. You yeah. kind of got, do you know what I
2: mean? Yeah, I think, it's like I say, it's nothing like what, what Mike's saying, but I, I think it's that thing is you always want the next challenge. That's what I always want. I'll do something, I'll go, right, I've done that. And although I will take the gratification from it and go, I'm really happy with that at a point, on the process towards it, even it that thing I'm doing at the minute, the illustration is painstaking. Do you know how many days I've been doing it now? I've still probably got another few days left on it, but I can't just throw it on the page. I need to go through the motion of, I know it's right. So in my own head, I've done the right job. I've done a good job.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, I find it really interesting me how the mind works and what you're talking about and so, Obviously I, I see some traits in you that I see and obviously you've gone to the next level and stuff and then I see like some of my clients kind of thinking kind of the same way and it, it's um,
1: Yeah, I mean there's support out there for people, there's there's groups it's just uh, it's hard to, to get an understanding around it, you just don't understand what's happening to you but then when you start delving into the education side of it and you start looking and you start putting pieces together, it can stop being a, it can stop being a hindrance and it can start being a gift. Yeah. You have to see. I think that's it. what
0: I'm saying to you, mate. I think you should use it as a gift yeah. and actually use it as actually that, that's what you should be doing. Cause you should be doing, going, doing talks. You should be doing, going, helping other people out who are thinking the same way. Yeah. A million percent. I want you to think about doing that, mate. And, um, if I can help you in any way that you come yeah, in maybe we'll once right. a month and me and you set some goals together and then maybe you come a little bit accountable to me yeah. where we go, right, Mike, this is what I kind of want you to do.
1: Yeah.
0: Are you on the Instagram?
1: No, I'm not on anything like that.
0: Reason being?
1: I, I used to get paranoid about what people were looking at me stuff. So I'd be checking okay. it all the time. Yeah. Also it's, um, I've become so used to staying under the radar Staying out of the system, yeah, and not being recognised or noticed, yeah. That that's where I feel safe now. And if people see me, then they'll see my flaws, and okay. they won't like me. And that's where it, that's that's the ultimate thing. Is just try to be invisible and get through life. Yeah, but I kind of know the other side of me is knows that that isn't the way to go. There's other stuff out there. There's life to yeah. be enjoyed. Yeah, and I do want it. It's just. That conflict well, mate, that's time. what
0: I'm saying to I will met, met that thing with a bit of you. Go, you know what? Have a think about it. Mm. If you want to, if you want that as part of your goal, I will help you do that. But I'm not going to push you into it. Yeah. I want you to make that decision. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it'd be really cool. If we just work with each other once a month, like yeah, an yeah. hour a month, Yeah. Um, set that kind of end goal, that macro goal, and then just work on some micro goals in between. Yeah, that'd be cool. Maybe help you with your batching a little bit. Um, kind of like scheduling your days and stuff yeah, yeah. obviously it's it's easy for me to say because I, t- I do it all the time with people but I mean no, you, cool. you take it to the next level but yeah. I oh, think yeah, that'd be definitely. really really good man yeah
1: definitely think about that
0: um, so what I'd like to say is if anybody needs any help go and message Michael on Instagram but it's <laughs> not um, if you're in the Bolton area and exercise for less you could pop in there and talk to him <laughs> but I'm not sure they'd well I don't know they'd probably be alright with that wouldn't yeah. they um, but I, I think it'd be ace mate if I could just now say people if anybody needs any help go and see Michael's website go and have a look at his YouTube videos um, see how you're smiling yeah. that's what you should be doing mate honestly yeah. you've been given this gift right of all the shit you've been for you've given this gift to kind of help other people out and I'm, I'm totally on board with helping you out mate Cool. totally on board with helping you out Yeah. you could settle charities you've been going in places doing talks and stuff You know, there's a reason. There's a reason for everything.
1: I have thought about it a lot. It's just how.
0: Mate, if it makes you smile, then, but you just come and see me once a month. And then I just kind of put, we put plans in together because what we could do is like on a Monday, instead of this is going to work you this, doing cleaning from 11 to 12, we go, right, okay, I want to do a video instead. And maybe we section things out and put things in place so we can actually put that into your plan. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll be up for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Have a think about it. Yeah, you know we'll I will see each other every day anyway, don't yeah. we? So you can write yeah. you know what, I'm ready now, mate. So we can just do that. Yeah. Um I think we'll wrap it up. Cool. Yeah. Um watch this space, because Michael's come in. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> okay.
1: mate. No problem. See you yeah. later. Thanks,
2: Michael. Right. Thank you for listening to the Team Manor podcast.
0: Get down.